0: I want to read you one verse from Ephesians 6 before I jump into today's message, and we'll come back to this at the end of the message. Uh, Ephesians 6, when Paul is writing to this church about their need to stay on track, even though the world around them is way off track, uh, the world around them sets the wrong example in almost every category, Um, Paul says they need to be strong in the Lord. So look at verse 10. Be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places." And we recognize from this text that whatever battles we fight, whatever struggle we're a part of, that the real victory or defeat happens in the spiritual realm, that there's more going on than what you can see going on. Now, in our series, we've been talking about American Reset, and we've been talking about what it means to be citizens of this country, but with reference to our citizenship in heaven, And we've learned that our purpose is not established by America. America is just a great platform from which we live out our purpose, which is why we're grateful for it, why we celebrate it, and why we would be interested in preserving it and protecting it, not because in and of itself it has anything to do with God's kingdom, but because America is the place in which you and I will fulfill our mission in life. As long as we stay here geographically, uh, this place matters to us, and this place matters to what we're a part of. So with that said, I want to take you back to the 1700s, to a steamy day in Philadelphia, when the Constitutional Convention was convened. And if you've studied that era of history, if you've studied that convention, you know that that was not an easy process. You had delegates from um, all different colonies, states uh, across the eastern seaboard there coming together to try to hammer out a proposal of how they could function as one nation even though there were dramatic differences in what they believed. And so all of them had the sort of the revolutionary spirit in their hearts. Um, There was a lot of disagreement about how to apply that some even thought that they wanted to establish a monarchy and just have sort of a similar system to what they were pulling out of in Great Britain, but, you know, better because it would be here or something. Um, others wanted to take it to a higher level, to have some sort of a republic, and there's a story of Benjamin Franklin, Franklin coming out of that Constitutional Convention on this hot day, and maybe the story's been romanticized a little bit, but you picture him there with his little bit long hair and his spectacles and his handkerchief, and he's wiping the the sweat off of his brow there on the streets of Philadelphia. And uh, and some lady comes up to him and says, well, what do we have? Are you giving us a monarchy or a republic? And he says this, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Now, when I researched this quote, just like it seems like with almost any historical story these days, you can find people say, oh, that never really happened. Um, So went back in time a little bit, try to find the answer to that question. And the, the reality, the chances are this really did happen, but it might have happened in the lady's house. She might have been the mayor's wife of Philadelphia, and after the convention, they go in and they have the same exchange. Uh, but the principle is true. He's saying, well, the, the Constitution is giving you a republic if you can keep it. So why would he say that? What would put a republic at risk? Why would a republic be something that you might lose and not be able to keep? Well, because a monarchy where the king is in charge is easier. A monarchy isn't usually under threat unless from without because the king and his sons or daughters and then their sons or daughters and their sons or daughters, they just run the show. And there's not really an opportunity for things to go a different direction when you have a republic where people are going to participate together and try to follow law together together well, now all of a sudden, there's all kinds of dangers um, as people interact with us. So we'll look at a few of those today. Um, our theme today is, is eternal vigilance. So we talked about how God created us equal And how America was one of the nations in the world that in in kind of a unique way recognized that truth that humans are more than just matter in motion. We're more than just biological machines. In fact, humans have a divine purpose, a divine image. And so when you look at another human being, you don't look at someone that you can subjugate, someone you can enslave, someone that you can, you know, you put them on some ranking order. Are they better than me or worse than me? No, we're all created equal. And so in our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, there that statement is, you know, kind of shining as this bright light of, hey, this is way different than the way the world is organized. This is a new goal. This is a new aspiration. And the whole American experiment was founded on that. And then we talked about the unalienable rights. Like if it's true that God created us, then that means there are some rights, there are some realities about you as a human being that have nothing to do with where you live, that have nothing to do with who your government is or how worthy you are or not worthy of something, that, that just because you're created by God, there are certain rights that you have. And our founders recognized that and built the system of American government on that idea. Did they do it perfectly? No. Or is it, is it perfectly applied right now? No. Uh, but the premise is there, the principle is there, The truth is there for us to discover and unpack and try to apply to the country and the culture that we're a part of. Today we're talking about this phrase, eternal vigilance. In Washington, D.C., if you go to the National Archives, there's a statue in the front yard with this phrase um, on it. I was there, that was a little while ago, a little bit younger in that picture. Uh, Eternal vigilance is is the price of liberty. So here again, just like when Benjamin Franklin said, here's your republic if you can keep it. Now we we look at this and we say, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Why is liberty under threat? Why wouldn't it be automatic? I mean, we all want liberty. We want liberty for our neighbors, and we want to experience liberty. So why in the world would liberty be under threat all the time to where we need to worry about keeping it and preserving it? And, and, not, and, and we, why would we have to pay this price of be, having to pay attention all the time? Well, as you look through history, you find certain trends, uh, trends that are common no matter what people group you look at. Um, and that is that when people make decisions together, when people are forced to work together, um, you often run into some of the same complications. So here we are as Americans, we're all created equal. We all have the same rights given to us by God. But someone has to be in charge, right? Some group or some, somehow representatively, there have to be leaders, And those leaders are human beings who are imperfect, and what seems to happen throughout history is as soon as you give someone power, they not only want to hold on to that power, but they're also interested in expanding that power. Um, And so then we would say, well, wow, power can corrupt you, and absolute power can absolutely corrupt you. Well, that's true, and that's why liberty If we want to live in liberty and pass liberty forward to future generations, we have to be watchful. Because if we let this go on autopilot, it will not go the right direction. Um, Governments don't trend toward empowering their people, they trend toward empowering themselves. So even though we started as a representative republic where, in theory, all of us have a stake in the game, that could be disrupted by corruption, and by the drift of people becoming apathetic, not paying attention, that sort of thing. All right, so I want you to, hopefully your Bible's still open to Ephesians 5, because that's where we're going to land today, but I want to show you a a, a couple principles here to kind of set up how I think Ephesians 5 plays into our vigilance as Americans. You say, wow, that's going to be an interesting jump to get from here to there. Well, let's walk through it. Okay, so far we've learned why we're created equal, why we have inalienable rights, that was the last two weeks. We understand that transcends nations. We don't celebrate America just because we think it's special. We celebrate America because it recognized who God made us to be and provided us a platform for liberty that we can stand on and live our lives. Um, those, the, it's part of God's design for human beings, confirmed by his natural law, so we walked through all of that last week. Today, we're going to discover that a free society based on human rights and natural law and God's purpose is not automatic. In fact, there are many threats to that liberty. And what I want to suggest to you today is that the greatest threat to the liberty that we enjoy right now is not in Washington, D.C. It might actually be inside of you. Okay, So we're, we're going to get there in just a minute. But first I want to show you here what Alexander Teitler said in 1787. So this is before America was off and running, right at the very beginning. He was not an American. He was a Scottish economist who had two things that really, when you read them, you go, wow, he, somehow he really was a prophet. Or humans act the same no matter where they are, one way or the other. Let's read what he said. He said, a democracy where people vote and make decisions together is always temporary in nature. It simply cannot exist as a permanent form of government. A democracy will continue to exist up until the time that the voters discover they can vote themselves generous gifts from the public treasury. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you got a generous gift from the treasury this week? All you senior citizens are like, wait, what? What are they talking about? Yes, all parents of kids got money this week. Did you know that? Um, And in theory, every uh, month between now and December. uh, So if you've got kids, it was your lucky day if you didn't know that was coming. Um, So there's the generous gifts. You say, well, uh uh-oh, that might actually be happening here. Uh, from that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates who promise the most benefits from the public treasury, with the result that every democracy will finally collapse due to loose fiscal policy, which is always followed by dictatorship. And you go, wow, that guy, maybe he was a prophet. Or, more likely, this is not the first time this has happened. Uh, that when people are given, when there's not when there's not sort of a principle that overrides society, when it's just up to everybody's opinion, people tend to vote themselves benefits and bankrupt their system, okay? So it's not a surprise that that would happen. Uh, this is how the world has always worked, and it's a danger. So there again, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. One of the things you've got to be watching out for if you want liberty to survive, things like this. Okay, Teitler also made this sort of progression of thinking which, if you've ever looked at political philosophy, I'm sure you've heard this because it's a common one, but it's really interesting to think about how true this could be for us. It says, people groups, nations, go from bondage, so they, usually nations are born, new political movements are born in a moment of bondage. Okay, maybe we're seeing that in Cuba right now, right? Hopefully. Uh, Cuba will move toward freedom so he so said coming out of bondage there's moral certitude so they, they've got courage they've got faith they know what's right they're willing to fight for it that leads to great courage great courage is what births liberty so you think about the revolution and then the liberty and the people are finally free from the the oppressive dictatorship they were under or from communism and and then that liberty immediately starts to lead them toward abundance And and it's because when you give people free markets, free opportunities, free exchange of ideas, they start generating wealth and abundance follows. We all know that. We're living that in America. But abundance has a danger. The more abundant things get, the more people start to focus on themselves, the more people start to take it for granted and even get selfish about it. And so here we are, uh, abundance leads to selfishness and selfishness starts to lead you toward complacency, which is when you kind of just expect things to keep rolling along, even if you don't really work that hard at it. You kind of think maybe we're too big to fail. Maybe we've cracked the system that no other world empire has ever, like the code, to keep surviving, even though none of us really have to work that hard at continuing to survive. So that complacency leads to apathy, where people just stop caring. Apathy leads to dependency, because if you don't take care of yourself, someone else has to, and usually that trends up toward the government and pretty soon dependency leads you right back into another form of bondage. And again, you go, wow, that guy wrote that in 1787. He, th- this must be something common in the human experience because you could write that now and kind of look back in history and go, yeah, wow, I see that happening. But this was written before the whole American experiment was really uh, off and running. Okay, Someone put this uh, little chart together. I don't know if you totally would agree with it. I'd have to think it through a little bit more, but I thought it was an interesting way of applying that principle to the last few generations of American history. People call the greatest generation, uh, the the generation that lived through the Great Depression, won World War II, kind of jump-started the big economic boom in America, and they also had a big baby boom. And so then they've got the baby boomers who grew up with, you know, they knew their parents had to struggle a lot to get America to where it was, but they didn't necessarily have to struggle that much to still be able to personally prosper. Then they had their kids, which is my generation, Gen X, um, who got to grow up in a time when basically things were pretty great for, mo- you know, unless you mess up your own life, like usually things are, they just sort of push you in the right direction. Uh, then millennials and now Gen Z would be up there at the top where they've grown up without ever really having to worry about, you know, where will the next meal come from or what, like, other than in individual situations where things were complicated, culturally things have just prospered so much. And you could almost see this whole Titler cycle happening right, like right here in the room. We would all probably have people that represent all of those eras of time. So it's an interesting application of that idea. Uh, the idea of you know, past does not repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Uh, it actually rhymes all the way back to Bible times. So some of you Old Testament scholars, you would remember that the book of Judges was an awful lot like this, right? You remember the cycles in Judges where. God would raise up a deliverer because the people would be crying out, they'd be under some sort of oppression or bondage from an enemy, and they would say, we'll repent, God, please help us, save us. So God would send salvation. Here would come a a judge, some sort of powerful leader who would defeat the enemy, lead them toward freedom. As soon as they got to freedom, what would they do? Well, they'd start prospering. They'd start enjoying the peace, and they'd start going back to idolatry and to sin because now there was no pressure to repent. And then what would the idolatry and sin do to them? Well, it would lead them right back into the bondage that they had been delivered from just a generation before. And so throughout Judges, which goes for a period of about 400 years, that section of the Bible, you see multiple cycles of the same thing happening. So you say, well, this, this starts to make sense why liberty is something we have to be careful with. Why, a republic based on human rights and based on being created equal, that's not something that just happens out in Washington somewhere and none of us have to pay attention to it. If we want that to survive, we have to pay attention and be involved. That's the very nature of how a republic would work. Vigilance means keeping careful watch for possible danger. So you could ask the question, at a political level, are you doing that? But I want to ask the question on a personal level, are you doing that? Because the things that make America what it is are not primarily political, they're primarily personal. America is a country, you're an American, you're a part of the story. And so while our vigilance, I mean, it's important to, you know, watch what the courts are doing, see what's happening in Congress, pay attention to what the president's executive order sign all that's important. We participate to the level we can, but the vigilance that we're called to has to go to a level deeper than that. I'm afraid that that level of vigilance, if you just operate in the political scheme, it actually can lead you directly into hypocrisy. And I'll show you why in Ephesians 5 in just a second. Okay, Political affairs in a free society are a reflection of the underlying values of that society. So every time you look in the news and you're like, man, another scandal. Nobody's honest out there or wow like what is wrong with all these people who are greedy who are who are filled with lust and pride like how how can these people be running america and then you look at yourself in the mirror and go oh That's why. Uh, Because those same problems are in the population. That's why we see them in the government. So if we want to see change happen, of course, you you work top down and bottom up when you're seeking change. So you do what you can at the government level. But personally, I think our vigilance can begin when we start taking our own lives a little bit more seriously. We start taking our own choices a little bit more seriously. So Ephesians 5, and this is going to take us right back up to the end of chapter six, where we landed or we started, seeing how this this war that we're a part of, the struggle we're a part of, is not primarily physical. Uh, the spiritual battle for your soul and the soul of the country is really where our vigilance. Well, that's that's where we've got to pay the most attention because that's where the victory will be won. So let's look at Ephesians five and start in verse three. By the way, in this context. The first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul is celebrating with this church all the great things God has done, salvation, grace. It's amazing. And then he says, so now in chapter four, we're going to talk about how you can live a life worthy of the calling you've received. You can't live like the world around you. You're going to have to be careful because the world around you will suck you in. It's like a black hole. It's a whirlpool there. It'll pull you in and you'll start acting like the world around you and not even necessarily realize it unless you're careful, unless you are vigilant. So here he comes in chapter 5, verse 3, beginning to explain that. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will ever inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. So, the number one thing that you and I need to be on the lookout for, vigilant about, is in our own heart, our own character not walking away from the road of Jesus, even though he's saved us, he's given us the grace, the the right path to walk, this is where our vigilance has to start. We can't get swept up in what the world around us and our own deceitful hearts would tempt us to do. The, The immorality, the pride, the greed, the idolatry, it's been the same temptation since the Garden of Eden, since the Book of Judges, since every other era of human history, that's why the cycle keeps repeating because people don't conquer these basic issues. That's where our vigilance starts. So you'd say, like, if I'm going to hold up some banner and like, be a champion for justice and liberty in America, awesome. Like, we stand with you. We're excited about that. We want to be a part of that. But if you hold that banner up and then somebody goes and just, for example, looks at your internet history, is any hypocrisy exposed there? Like, are you wishing for the country to have all of these values and, you know, surrender to the natural law of God and live for the kingdom? And, and then in your own life, there are, there are, there are holes. There's, there's exactly what this text says. These things are among you and in you and in your, the way that you operate, the things that you do. Well, that exposes hypocrisy, right? So this is why the vigilance has to start really personally. You can't expect America to become a better place if you're not willing to become a better person. You can't expect America to follow God's law if you in your own heart have not surrendered to follow God's law. Okay. So the first area here is our behavior and words, what defines who we really are. If, if we're watchful about that, Then, personally, no matter what happens in the world, and even if we lose political freedom at some point, you in your spirit are free as long as you keep following Jesus that way. So, our vigilance begins right there in our own hearts. The next place that we see is in our own attitudes about evil and then our own commitments to holiness. So, look at the next paragraph here in the text, verse 6. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So here again, you think, I I want America to be a shining light to the world. That's great. That starts with you being a shining light to the world. And so we look up at our, our, we look at our own attitudes and we think, am I letting myself be carried away with whatever's culturally popular instead of being, you know, struck with the holiness of God and following him? Is it possible for us to be so a part of the culture that we're in that we kind of lose touch with what what even is holy or not holy anymore? Certainly that can happen. And so we start start our vigilance, we start our watchfulness, not with trying to get Congress to pass a new law about morality. That might happen, that might be great, but it has to happen in our heart or it's not going to mean anything in the legal code. So we say, Lord, would you help me in my attitudes uh, to be the sort of person that shines light? I don't just talk about light, but my lifestyle, my morals are actually filled with light. Okay, so we're watchful at that level, then we take it up uh, to our ability to unhypocritically shine the light of truth out to the world. Look at verse 10. It says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. I think the word carefully is interesting here. Like we're, This is not easy to do. This is not natural to do. You have to be very intentional. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So, so the number one thing, that as we're holding up the banner for liberty, and we're saying we want this, you know, we want the republic, we want to keep it, Uh, we want to see liberty passed forward to next generations, we don't want to fall back into bondage spiritually or politically, Uh, then we start by saying, in my own lifestyle, I have to represent and live these values before I ever expect the world around me to adapt to them. And, And so when you say, I stand for life, when you say, I stand for freedom, when you say, I stand for the good of all people, um, that your inner life would reflect that commitment, um, that's, when, that's when you have the power and the credibility to speak out to the world. All right, So we have to carefully watch this, because here's where I, I mention that danger. I think it's possible to get wrapped up in making public statements, posting things that are really righteous sounding, making big political declarations, Um, and not watching your inner life, and you almost think, well, because I'm a voice for what's right in the big picture, my own personal life is just kind of private and it doesn't matter. It's actually the opposite of that. If your own life uh, isn't in order, then you really don't have any business speaking to the bigger picture at all. Okay, the next thing, we have to carefully watch our purposeful use of daily choices, making our time count. Um, So here, Paul writes to us in verse 15, Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music in the Lord in your hearts, And give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it says, you're going to have to, in the midst of an evil world, you're going to have to focus your attention on following the Holy Spirit. You could do what a lot of people do kind of in the, in the apathy and the complacency that we're all tempted into, you end up, like he throws this example out of not being drunk with wine as something that would alter you, that would change you, and you become, you know, less of a decision maker at that point. There's a lot of other things that can do that to you as well, that take away the opportunity. Like every moment is an opportunity that God has given you, and especially when you live in a free society, everything's an opportunity. So don't, don't let that fall away. Don't, Don't be thoughtless and careless with that incredible opportunity that's in front of you. Be very vigilant. Be very careful. Determine what God wants you to do and give your best effort to that. Don't get sucked in uh, to the things that would tempt you to waste your life. So I think about and we talked about this a little bit last week, that I, I give thanks to God that I got to be born in America that I've had freedom throughout my whole life. No one's ever told me how I had to think. No one's ever told me what I had to do for a job. Like all the things that we take for granted every day just because we live here, Um, I'm thankful for that. And even if that all ended tomorrow, I would still have to say, God, thank you that you gave me 42 years of freedom. Uh, That is more than most human beings who've ever existed have had when it comes to political freedom. But I could still have freedom in my heart, in my life, if I'm willing to not fall into the temptation of just letting whatever i have go to waste so whether i have one more day of freedom or another 40 years of freedom coming up i want to leverage every one of those opportunities and i hope that you do too okay so that's we're going to carefully watch our daily choices knowing this is a gift that we've been given we were vigilant with it we also carefully watch our household relationships especially our marriages which can drift so we, we don't have time to unpack all of this text, but as you see how Ephesians is developing here, this book of the Bible, he's saying, here's how you walk worthy. Here's how you look different than the world around you. This is, this is in your heart. This is in the, your life, your thinking, your character. It's also at your home. And so then he paints this picture of what Christian households are like, places of serving each other, loving each other, caring about each other's needs, putting other people first. And you go, wow, that's so different. the households that, you know, that's so different than the natural trend of things. It's different than than where the world would take us. And so here again, we, we would say, well, before I stand up for family values out there on the public square, I have to live the values of that family mission, that heart that are right there in the Bible. And so before I go public with some sort of like America ought to change, I need to look at my own household, the way I treat my spouse and start there if, if we change at that level, that's the seed of the change that we want to see everywhere else. Okay, Then we go forward to chapter 6, verse 10, and we're right back to where we started from. And this is where our watchfulness, our vigilance... Um, takes us not just to be you know, checking the news every day, are the politicians honest, and we know they're not, and we know there's a mess, um, but you, know, you can check that stuff, you can participate as much as is helpful in that stuff, but you recognize there is a bigger thing going on than whatever CNN or Fox News or anybody else is ever going to put on their headline page. There's a spiritual struggle for people's souls. That's what matters the most, If you win at that level, the other stuff will take care of itself. If you lose at that level, none of the other stuff will matter. So here again we read verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. The devil is a strategist. He's he's thinking of ways to torpedo your life and the nations that we live in, and the cities we're a part of, the communities we're in, the families we're in. The devil wants to tear down what is good and right and loving in this world. And so we we recognize the liberty and prosperity and joy and love that we hope that we and our children can experience forever. That is always under threat as long as the devil is out there strategizing against us. That's why we armor up. That's why we think um, intentionally, he says in verse 12, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. So the people, you know, across the proverbial aisle at Congress, the the people who run the commercials against the people who we like, or what? Else, those are not our enemies. Uh, there, might be the adversaries we have in ideology or something, but the real enemies are spiritual, and that's where we focus most of our attention. He says we're we're battling against mighty powers in the dark world, against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. Verse 13, Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground then, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil And put on the helmet of salvation, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So you armor up, not for a physical conflict, but recognizing that the the real battles to fight are the battles in our hearts. It's the battle to share the gospel, it's the battle to love people who are difficult, it's the the battle to stand for righteousness, not just in word, but in deed. Uh, when When you fight that battle, you're accomplishing more than just preserving and protecting America. I think when you fight that battle, you are preserving and protecting America and the community you live in because it does bless the world for righteousness to be in charge. Um, but you're, you're battling for more than that and you're winning more than that if you fight and win the spiritual battle. Okay, And then the last piece we see in verse 18. We must carefully watch our state of prayerful readiness. Verse 18 says, pray in the spirit At all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. You recognize you're a part of a network of believers everywhere, all across the world, every nation, tribe, and tongue. There are people believing in Jesus, following Jesus just like you and me. And we recognize we are a team. We're a part of that for the purpose that is a lot bigger than just some sort of flesh and blood enemy or the next political battle that's in front of us. Uh, there's more going on in the world than what we can see. And so we give ourselves to prayer for that. And We say, Lord, at every juncture here, I want, one of the reasons I want to keep praying is so that I don't get wrapped up in the idea that the solutions are all human. They're not. These are divine solutions where God intervenes in the world that we live in and where when his truth wins out, Things change for the better. And so we say, Lord, that's what I want to be a part of. Eternal vigilance is going to be the price not only of my political liberty, but of my spiritual victory. Okay, so I thought we would conclude our service here with just thinking maybe in a little bit of a different frame. Uh, Some of you who've been a part of a business, you might have done a SWOT analysis before. SWOT is just the acrostic represented by those four words there. And, and what, what a business leader might do is put up on a whiteboard the SWOT, and, and you start to list out in your business what are the strengths that we have going for us, what are the weaknesses that we know are inside of us that we should either mitigate or try to fix or deal with. And then when they look externally, they think, well, what are the opportunities that might be in front of us? Things happening in the world that are changing that present opportunity for whatever we're trying to sell or do. And then what are the threats that we face, the barriers that are in our, in our way, the, the potential competition we face? So it's a healthy exercise. It's helpful to do that in business or in ministry. I was wondering if, in prayer, we could do a SWOT analysis on America. And just think, you know, as Americans, we, we represent a little tiny slice of the pie of what is America. And so what if we just went ahead and analyzed where we're at? You know, we're heading into the end of 2021, we'll go to 2022. Like the the future isn't written yet in the sense that you and I are a part of that future. So if we get honest about where we're at, then we can take concrete action, helpful action to take us in the right direction going forward. So as we close in prayer today, I wanted to pray through this SWOT analysis and also encourage you maybe to do this a little bit on your own or with your family and just to just to think about uh, where we stand as a country and where you stand as a citizen, and what might be next, what we can ask God for, what we can believe for, what we can work toward. Uh, so let's let's pray and let's ask God to give us uh, some help as we think about our country and our people. So Lord, um, first of all, we do thank you for our country. Thank you for the fact that we have freedom in our hands right now. That because of the hard work and sacrifice of previous generations, a whole lot of good has been handed to us. And Lord, I don't know if we're stuck in the cycles that we looked at, if those are ine- inevitable or not. I want to believe that they're not. I want to believe that we could choose To return to that place of moral certitude, spiritual faith, and courage, and not let ourselves go into the place of apathy and complacency and dependency. Lord, that has to start in our hearts, so we we recognize that. We want to start in strengthening our relationship with you as the beginning of what we hope would happen in our whole country. So when we think about the strengths of America, Lord, we want to commit those to you and thank you for them. America is a great place for opportunity. It's a great place for fresh starts. It's a a rich place. It is a a place where there's a lot of choices offered to us, and we see a lot of strength in that. Um, Lord, I I recognize strength even in the character of a lot of Americans and even in the American government to still be... uh, Tilted toward generosity, tilted toward wanting to help people who are in need, to rush to the scenes of challenges, disasters, struggles, and, and help however possible. So we know culturally there's some strength there that we could build on. We thank you for that. When it comes to weaknesses, sadly, Lord, you know better than we do that that list is probably really long. That there are structural weaknesses in our system, that have resulted in a lot of debt to be accumulated, that have resulted in a lot of us to not worry about tomorrow, instead to just think about today. Uh, There are a lot of weaknesses in our families, in our communities. There's a lot of anger, a lot of selfishness, a lot of spiritual need. And so, Lord, we commit those weaknesses to you. We pray for your help. We pray for your grace as we face those. First, that we would be honest and humble about what those are, and that, Lord, we would follow you toward a different kind of life and toward the solutions to some of those. As we think beyond, Lord, we see opportunities on the horizon for America and for us as individuals. We know that the world is fast changing. The the ability for technology to change things is growing exponentially exponentially. There are opportunities to see liberty expand. Uh, There are opportunities to see more people served in better ways, to bring prosperity, to bring the gospel, uh, to take truth and multiply it out there across the world. We, We know there's opportunities in all of those arenas, and we're grateful for those. And help us, Lord, to seize those opportunities wherever we can. We also know there are threats which is why we're called to vigilance. We know that perhaps the greatest threat would be the deterioration of our own character and commitment. So Lord, would you strengthen us? Would you give us eyes to see the truth about ourselves so that we can walk with you and live as people of light and then shine that light to the world around us? We know that there are threats outside of our country pushing in as there always have been, other systems and governments and forces of evil that would love to tear down, disrupt, or ruin the good that is in America. So Lord, we pray against those forces. We pray that to whatever degree possible, we could be a part of holding back those tides of evil, standing against them, maybe even reversing them and sending good back in the place of evil. But Lord, we know a lot of those things are beyond our personal scope of control And so we have to trust you with those and recognize that our individual lives are where we have control and where we have opportunity. And so, Lord, would you help us to be faithful with what's right in front of us? And we do pray for those who lead us, those who represent us, not to fall into the same cycles of history that we can see Uh, but rather that they too uh, could be called to righteousness personally and then um, corporately. Lord, we're grateful for our country. We're grateful that at least for right now, at least for today, in this moment, in this hour, we have freedom. That is a great gift. Help us not to squander it, to waste it on ourselves, and help us to whatever degree possible to be vigilant to be very watchful and careful to maximize the use of that gift. We pray all this in Jesus' name. So here's one parting challenge. You go home, you look in the mirror, you say, I do not have the power necessarily to reset America, but I can reset that American. We'll begin with that. We'll see you next week.